Uh, so today, it's the end, the end of the four-part message series called I Want to Believe, But. And if you're just joining us, you, you haven't been around for the other ones, to so just give you a, a, a quick idea of where we are. One of the big issues that we have today, in, in certainly in, in our world and where we are, is that um, there's people who want to believe in God, but either they feel like there is, or, or in front of them, it seems that there is a hurdle. There's, there's some type of, of obstacle. There's something blocking the path, something that's preventing them from believing in God. And I, and I want to believe, but what about? So in previous weeks, we've talked about the reality that there are, there are people who, who are going forward and they are rejecting God. They say, I don't believe in God. I can't, I can't be part of that. But what we were saying is that they're not usually rejecting the true God. They're rejecting a distorted image. They're, they're, they're rejecting the image that they think is God. They're, they're rejecting the God that they overheard somebody else talking about. They're, they're rejecting the God who has been misrepresented. The God that somebody else made up and told them about, that's the God that they're rejecting. So if you can, think back to week one. If you don't remember week one at all, um, because you weren't here, you're welcome to go back and listen to it on the podcast. If you were here and you don't remember it, heck, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast, right? And you can connect with that again. We talked about on-demand God. God's got to do what I want. When I pray, God's got to do what I want. He has to answer, and He has to answer the way that I want. That God does not exist. Week number two, we talked about killjoy God. I want to believe in God, but my goodness, there's just so many rules. We found that uh, religion uh, creates a distorted view of God. Religion so often complicates, and Jesus makes simple with love. That is the, the, the focus, and that's the point. Week number three, we talked about goosebump God. I want to believe in God, but you know what? I don't feel him. I don't get the tingly tinglies. I don't get the emotion inside. I don't get that special thing. And we found out that that, that was actually another distorted view of God, that a proper relationship with God isn't based on always feeling tingly tingly, always on the high points, always having to feel God. Well, that's not who God really is. That's not the way he really um, behaves or acts or relates with us. But today, we're going to look at what might be the most commonly embraced, distorted view of God. This is the one that you hear most often people say, and it's enough to, to say one sentence and it washes everything that you're going to say away. We're going to talk about heartless God. I want to believe in God, but he doesn't seem to care. How can you believe in a God who doesn't answer honest sincere, earnest, candle-lighting kind of prayer. How do you have a belief in that kind of a God? And chances are pretty good that many of you have had your own moment like that. Some of you, that moment is right now. And you say, I'm, I'm praying, I'm trying to believe, but there's all these things that are happening around me. How can I believe in a God who doesn't seem to care? And he shows that he doesn't care by not doing what I ask him to do. It can be just as simple as, as you open up your, your news app, you want to check and see what's going on, or maybe you're on Twitter and you get the, the news update of something that's coming in, and you see something in the world, like another terrorist attack, or, or innocent people getting killed, or a, a, another ridiculously senseless school shooting. How could somebody do that to another human being? 
It doesn't seem fair. It might be some natural disaster. Hundreds of people, lives wiped away. And maybe it's something that's a whole lot more personal. And here's some truth for you. Even right now in this room that we're sitting in, is very likely one or two or three people, maybe in the same aisle, the same pew as you, maybe they have been abused in some very significant way. If you are that person, if you love that person, then you're like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? That doesn't seem to be fair. It may be something, something simple like you're, you're praying for God to do something. Please, God, just do this. And you know he can. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't take the headaches away. He doesn't answer that prayer for your child. Or you're trying your best. You're doing good. You, you're, you're helping people and, and you're working hard. And, and everybody else seems to be getting ahead. And no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to catch a break. Whatever it is, you start to ask yourself, God, are you there? And if you're there, are you good? I want to believe in you. But it just seems like you don't care. I want to believe. But you seem heartless. If you've ever felt like that, and let me just tell you right now, you're not alone. You're not the only person. Lots of times when people read stories from the Bible, they find that there's a disconnect. They say, well, that doesn't sound like my life, right? Those are Bible characters. And you think, wow, those are larger than life kind of people. They, we, we filtered out all the, all the regular people and we just put like the highlight characters in there. It's just the human highlight reel. That's what the Bible is. So how can it possibly help me? It doesn't seem to relate. But the people, the characters, the, the biographies that are written in there, they're about real people, and they experienced very real emotions, just like you, just like me, and you can go down the list. We can't, obviously, we're not going to go through them all, but David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, that's what he was called. Repeatedly, he cries out again and again and again, where are you, God? Why don't you hear my prayers? The man after God's own heart says, where are you, God? Why don't you hear my prayers? Why don't you do something? Why don't you fix this? Can't you see that it's bad? Don't you care? Are you even listening? We jump ahead. John the Baptist. And if you're not a church person, maybe you don't know who this guy is. John the Baptist, it's not because he went to a Baptist church, okay? His, John was famous because he was the first person to baptize other people. But this guy, John the Baptist, he's the cousin of Jesus. So think about that at a family gathering. What would that be like, right? Um, and John recognizes that he has an important calling, that God has put a specific calling on him, and his purpose is to, to prepare the way for Jesus. That's his purpose. That's what he's going to do. And he devotes his life to saying, Jesus is coming, everybody. Get ready. Get ready for him. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. Jesus is coming. And people start to follow him, and he says, don't follow me. Follow Jesus. He's humble. And he tells other people, he, he's so great. I, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He's the one. And then John the Baptist gets arrested for doing the right thing. He gets arrested for living out the calling of God 
on his life. He gets arrested for making the world a better place. He gets arrested for standing up for the oppressed. And now he's in prison. And you know what he's thinking? I'm the cousin of Jesus. I've been serving Jesus. I've seen his power, man. I've seen, he's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's opened blind eyes. He's done party tricks like turning water into wine. He's here to change everything. And I bet he's fantasized about it. You know, I think I would. He's fantasized about what might happen as he sits and rots in prison. He lets his mind go, right? And Jesus is going to come in here. Man, he's going to send some special forces ninja angels. And they're going to be big. And they're going to walk in and they're just going to go poof. And all those guards are going to get some serious hemorrhoids. And as the angels, uh, they, they roll in, there's a sword. And it's going to go swoosh. And lightning's going to flash. And, and, and the doors are just going to bounce open. And, and, the, and the smoke is going to come up. And the music's going to swell. And, and everyone else is going to be standing there powerless to do everything. And Jesus is there. And he's going to come towards me. And we're just going to come out and boom, fist bump. And everyone's going to see it. He's going to set me free. He waits. Jesus, are you coming? And he waits. And then at one point while he's waiting, he says to one of his other followers, he says, hey, I'm locked up here. I can't go. Can you go find Jesus? Go ask him. Are you really the one that we were expecting? Or, or, or should we look for someone else? And what happened? This is not what I saw coming. Jesus, I know you can. And yet, you're not. Don't you care? I'm in prison. If you've ever been in a place where you wanted to believe, but it didn't seem like God cared, you're not the only one. In fact, I'd go beyond that and I'd say, it's part of the process. If you've never had an experience where it feels like, God, where are you right now? How come? If you've never had that, that's part of the journey. That's one of the steps in our next steps. Let me make you three promises. Number one, I am not going to and I will not be able to answer every question that you have here today or, or any other day. I can't do it. But I am going to try to point you to the one who one day will do just that. He'll explain the whole thing. One day he will. I want to linger a little bit longer on the other two promises, these two big thoughts that we're going to have today. These are things to embrace, truths to remember when God doesn't seem fair. So today, I'm, I'm not trying to provide you a scientific kind of explanation or a defense. I'm talking about a relationship. That's what we're coming to. How do we know where God is in this? Um, so two truths to, to, to embrace, to remember when God doesn't seem fair. So if you like to take notes, I find that they help me sometimes. It helps me to think, it helps me to remember. So if you like to take notes, here's the first thing. First promise. When God doesn't seem fair, remember 
God always has a purpose in your pain. God has a purpose. He is good. Even when you're hurting, God is still working. He is still good and he is working in all things to transform them into good or to draw good from them. I don't know what it might be. Someone, someone might have let you down, right? There might be someone here who has recently lost someone important to you. It could be a broken relationship. It could be that, that, that someone was sick and they didn't make it. It could be that, that, that someone lied to you. They took advantage of you. They've gossiped about you. They betrayed you. It might be that life's not going the way you want, and it is not fair at all. It could be something as big as cancer. It might be something as inconvenient as a sore throat on a big day. It could be that you're praying for someone who you love that's now in hospice care, and you're drained. It could be that you got a flat tire on the way to a meeting, and you were late, and you just don't know where God is. You know, any other day. Any other day would be fine, but not today, not this day. It could be any number of different things. Wherever it is that you're hurting, whatever level the hurt is, no matter how personal it feels, remember that God has a purpose. He's using the difficult time to do something in you. That is not the same thing as causing the difficult times, right? Peter who went through all kinds of difficult times, describes it in his first letter. So 1 Peter, um, in in the first chapter, he says this about suffering and trials. There is a wonderful joy ahead. When you're suffering, remember, it's not the whole story. There is joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, These trials, these things that you don't understand, these these difficult seasons, they will show that your faith is genuine. God's taking your roots even deeper. It is being tested as a fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God has a purpose. God is doing something. God is in the middle of it. And even though you don't understand it, God is using it to strengthen you. When you run toward him, your spiritual roots grow even deeper. God doesn't care. Uh, God doesn't cause the pain every single time, but God uses the pain every single time time. He has a purpose in the pain. Uh, After I'd been through a number of hard situations, about 15 years of ministry, where every church that I went into was in chaos. Every church had a broken part of it that was um, significant, and it impacted me, and it impacted the people around me. After I had just completed uh, another unjust situation, a multi-year, hard, lousy, unfair, bad ministry situation, I was given a gift. I was given a brick. (laughs) This brick. Not a gold gold watch. Not a vacation. Not a fancy Bible. I got a brick. 
And here's the explanation. This, this is not why things happen to you. But when we start, we all have hard, sharp edges. Through difficult circumstances, we are battered and bruised and knocked about. Graham, you will tell the story of what happened and what it means to you. You will decide how the story will be told. And you will write how the story goes forward. You can tell the story any way you want. Now, in this point in your life, 15 years, what are you? Are you battered, beaten up, broken, and bitter? Or have you been smoothed, polished, rounded off? I kept my brick. I keep it on my bookshelf. It's a great reminder. It reminds me that the way I tell my story impacts the way that I live now and the value of my experience. Will I have learned from what I went through? Or will I simply be requesting a further lesson? What is the value in my hardship? The second promise. The second thing that I hope you'll remember when God doesn't seem fair is this. God is always present in your pain. He has a purpose and he is present when you are hurting. And one of, the, one of the biggest lies that we have to deal with, and this is a lie, when you say, I'm all alone. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present He is with you. When you feel alone, he is with you. When you feel cast off, cast aside, he is with you. When you feel abandoned, he is with you. When you feel hurt in a way that no one else seems to understand, he is with you. When you feel powerless, when you feel overwhelmed, he is with you. So often when we pray, we we want God to give us what we want. God, rush in here and remove or reverse all of the adversity. God, give me what I want. God is throughout your life going to try to teach you that he is what you need. God, I want you to do this. God says, I am the source of all that you need. And there's a freedom that that you can't really describe until you experience when you can move to that place. There's no better example to me in, in, in all of Scripture than the Apostle Paul. If you don't know a lot about Paul, he was a guy that used to hate Christians. He hated them. He killed them. He oppressed them in every way he could think of. And then the middle of, of his largest mission, he had gotten permission to take his his torture and meanness show on the road. And as he was going there to go and bring devastation to a whole community of Christians, he's radically transformed. So radically transformed that when he shows up in the other town, nobody believes it. No way, this is just, you're just trying to trick us. But that guy did more for the gospel than maybe anybody since Jesus. 
I mean, if you think about the people that you know, like there's Billy Graham, and then there's Paul, and there's Jesus. You can count these guys on one hand, the kind of people who have made major contributions in the world. He's been starting churches. He's going where nobody else will go, and he wrote a big portion of the New Testament. And when he gets this thing that he calls a thorn, we don't know what the thorn is. You know what? There's theories and people say maybe it was this, maybe it was that. But it was massively painful, massively destructive, massively distracting in his life. And he pleads with God three times. Now, keep in mind that he, in his ministry, had prayed and seen the miraculous happen regularly. He prayed and he'd seen healing. He prayed and he had seen uh, people um, come back from the dead. Big deals. Not like, I feel better, thank you. But transformation kinds of things. And he pleads with God. And he he went through whole seasons of seeking God. You know, if God is going to heal anybody, he's got to heal his witness to the Gentiles. He's got to heal his main missionary man. He's got to heal the guy who suffered who's been beaten and left for dead, who's been shipwrecked for Jesus, who's been snake-bitten, who's been whipped so many times that his back is scarred beyond measure, a guy who was stoned for Jesus, and I'm not talking recreationally stoned. This is where they took rocks and they threw them at you from every direction until they figured you were dead and then they walked away. Surely God's got to heal Paul. Heal me. Paul cries out, heal me. Heal me. And God says to him in 2 Corinthians, and this is Paul's letter he's writing, trying to take his life, his story, and share it with other people so that there could be wisdom from this experience. He, he said that the answer that he got from God is my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And I'm pretty sure because we know he prayed three times. The first time he got that message, he says, I don't care about your grace. What I want is my healing. I don't care what you say. Fix me. Release me. And so he prays again. Then he prays again. And then there's something that changes inside him. They heal me, change my circumstances, fix my problems, release me from my pain. And God says, no, my grace is enough. And Paul says, this is what I need, God. And God says, no, I am what you need. I don't like to hear no. Do you? This is something that you cannot explain. It's a spiritual reality that you can only experience. It is something that you can never explain clearly to another person because words don't do it. This is how God helped me through. You can't paragraph it. When you've been there and you've experienced his presence, when he's carried you, when you couldn't make it on your own, when he's lifted you, through your doubts, when he sustains you, when you're aching in pain, when he comforted you, when you you didn't want to get up another day, when he gave you the hope to move forward and you didn't know if you could go on, then you can testify. There are times when he is enough. There are times when his grace is enough. It's like the power-up or or a level-up in a video game. Life is suddenly just different after that point. Paul went on to say, this is actually a good thing. In verses 9 and 10, just follow down a little bit farther. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why 
for Christ's sake. Now watch him. He talks crazy talk here. Get ready. He says, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, his strength is made perfect in me. When I can't get on through another day, he's there to carry me. He's always present in your pain, not present and watching you unconcerned from a distance. He is present in you, with you, surrounding you in your pain. Some of this, some of you, you're going to be able to embrace this. And you might be able to say, I delight in my migraine because they've drawn me closer to Christ. I delight in this lonely season because I've experienced Emmanuel, God with us, like I never, ever have before. I delight in my job search because now I see that my God is truly my provider. I delight in this difficult season because God is breaking me of self-sufficiency and training me to depend on him. I delight in this unforeseen, unplanned, unpleasantness because I will see God work in and through me. What will it look like when God transforms this situation? There is a mission that we are a part of that's larger than it seems what we do every day. Here's the bottom line for some of you right now. You, you take an Instagram kind of moment. It's the shot. It's a point in time. You have that single moment. And you look at your life right now and you put a filter on it, right? You put a filter so that it looks the way that you feel. And you have every right in this moment to say, I don't like it. You're right when you say, I don't understand it. It's a moment in time. And this moment doesn't seem fair. But you step back a little bit and you look over any 10-year season of your life and you pursue and you walk with Jesus in and through those ups and downs. And over that 10-year period, here's what you're going to have. I don't get that. I wouldn't choose that. I never wanted that. In the moment, I don't get it. Over a 10-year period, you look back and you say, God was with me during that time. I didn't see it then as clearly as I see it now. He was strong for me during that. What he did through this, I could have never done on my own. I never would have chosen that. I never would have gone through that. I never would want to go through it again, but he was there for me. If you walk through that time, with faithfulness. And here's what a lot of people are going to say. A lot of people will ask this question. How can you believe in a God who doesn't seem to care? How do bad things happen to good people? Well, here's another question that you can ask. I don't hear many people asking this question. You say, why do good things happen to anyone? Who has done anything that can sort of earn you a good outcome? Why do good things happen to bad people? I don't know about you, and I'm not really all that proud to say this, but I'm kind of a bad person. You say, you're the pastor, and I go, yeah, so let me tell you the truth. I'm still a sinful pastor. I don't get it right all the time, and I have to learn how to repent, 
and I need to learn how to repent better. This is the path forward. And as my buddy Paul Hewson sings, blessings not just for the ones who kneel, luckily. Listen to me. If you were here in week two, we talked about the fact that we're all sinners. If anything good's ever happened to you, sometimes you have to sit back and say, well, why did God do something good for me when I'm a bad person? You may say, well, my life's not incredibly blessed, but I know it's easy to say that and to feel that, but it's really important that we're honest about this. If you've got health to be here, I'd be thankful for that. If you've got people around you that love you, I'd be thankful for that. If not everybody loves you, that's okay. (laughs) Nobody is loved by everybody. If you drove somewhere in a car, I'd put you in the top 5% of the richest people on earth. You got a toilet that flushes? Oh, (laughs) that's a good thing. You get to worship God without fear of retribution. There are lots of things to be thankful for. Recognize God does a lot of really good things for a lot of really bad people. They did nothing to earn it. So, well, is God fair? I'm going to tell you right now, again, as clearly as I can, no, he's not. Did a pastor just say that? Absolutely. God is not always fair. God is always just, but he is not always fair. If God was always fair, he would give us what our sins deserve. But because he is just, he sent Jesus who paid the price. Psalm 103. I hope you can feel this. This is one of those places I think that got inside of me. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Every now and again, you have to thank God that he is not always fair. He doesn't give us what our sins deserve. So whenever you're tempted to look at whatever it is, the horrible stuff in the world or the the personal thing that's going on that's unjust and unfair, God, why would you allow this? Here's something that I want to challenge you to do. Don't just think about it from your own perspective, but think about it from your heavenly father's perspective. A father who loves you, who has a purpose in your pain and is with you when you are hurting. Have you ever had to hold down a child to help them with a medical procedure? It's a horrible experience. I've had to do this at the dentist more than once for my kids. And apparently the knockout drugs that they give don't always knock them out. Sometimes it just amps them up. They don't feel pain, but they're wired. My little child sitting on that chair, they look up at me longingly. Outside. I want to go outside, Daddy. I want to go and play. No! Daddy, stop! Stop! It hurts me! It hurts! And then the screams come. And they're staring into your eyes. And your hands are holding them down. And your body is pushed 
on top to suppress their movements. Do you know that feeling? That child is completely uncomprehending. The need is significant. The pain is real, but it is temporary. And you know that it will prevent worse pain and further deeper issues later on. So you hold on anyway. When you hurt, God hurts with you. There are times when he wants to tell you, but you can't quite understand. I'm going to do something through this. There's a reason. I'm working and I'm still here. We're in partnership. This is not the end. You won't believe what I'm going to do. I can take that darkness. Guess what? He knows what it's like much more than anybody else to hurt. Because he loved you so much. So much that he did something that was completely unfair. He allowed his son to come to earth with the full intention and plan to die. Horribly. When Jesus became sin, Jesus looked up at the Father and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God the Father loved you so much, he said he allowed his son to go to die in your place. That's a love beyond anything that we can ever imagine. Our God is not a heartless God. Our God doesn't even just love you. He is love. It's not what he does, it's who he is. Kind Father, today we ask that you would show your love, especially for those who today are hurting. For many of us, there's something going on and we don't quite understand. And you've got that barrier, you've got that hurt, and you need God's presence. We need his comfort. If you say, yeah, there's something hard in my life. It's very, very difficult for me right now. Would you simply just raise up your hand? Allow some relief to come, even in the admission of your pain. I just want to take the moment to pray for you. Oh, God, there, there's just more stories of pain that are reflected here than I can even process. And I hurt with all these people that are enduring difficult times, difficult trials right now. God, I know as much as I hurt, you hurt a million times more, infinitely more, because they are your children and you love them, God. I pray, Father, when we endure trials, that our faith would be proven before you, that our spiritual roots could grow even deeper and in a snapshot of time, when we don't understand, we would hang on to you, God. And as we hang on to you, trusting you, and trusting that our season of walking with you, we, we, we see that you are always with us. You are always good, God. Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would comfort those who are hurting and need your presence even today. Take what we have. Take where we are and transform it and us. Make the darkness into light. Rework the plans that have been made for evil and recast them into plans for good. Release light and grace 
and mercy and love to those beloved ones before me this morning. And take those gifts and spread them far and wide and reclaim this town of Stouffville and rule and reign in it and in us. Thanks for never giving up on us. We are deeply in your debt. But please, more. Give us the grace, the strength, the mercy, and the comfort we need today to go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Thanks for being here today. You know why, right? Because it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. As you go, I want to remind you that you don't just walk away. You're going out because you're sent. You've been here, and now you go. And as you go, remember that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And this is a mission that we are all on. It's for everyone, everywhere, all the time. 